And over time, I found sort of so many advantages of this way of working, being able to explain the why, the value of trainees, seeing me struggle, put a certain idea into words. Faculty Factory Podcast, and I'm Kim Skrupski here at Hopkins. I can't wait for you to learn about some cool stuff from my friend that brand new to the podcast, Dr. Richard Eden. Hi, Richard. Hi, how are you? Good. I'm so, not the Richard's like, I don't know. I've never done a podcast. I hate listening to my voice, but trust me, this guy is great. Let me tell you how I know Richard. So Richard's here at Hopkins in neuroradiology. He's a professor. He's going to introduce himself formally with all his titles in a moment. But um, I know Richard because I think about maybe, I don't know, I've been at Hopkins almost nine years. And I brought this workshop here when I came from Rush in Chicago called Get That Paper Out the Door, Pearls and Pitfalls of Publishing. And my buddy, Dave Usum, who's a frequent flyer on the Faculty Factory podcast, and I, we would give this like hour and a half long workshop and we would split it into the three very common writing barriers. I have trouble getting started. I don't have any time. And I have trouble finishing. And those three elements are also very, they feature heavily in the concept of WAGs that I came up with back, back when, writing accountability groups, WAGs. And so um, Dave said, in his great mentoring style and being a great sponsor and coach that he is, he said, Hey, Richard, Edden is great at writing. You, we ought to, you know, share this with him. So Richard always gets the great part of like how to get started. I do the section on there's no time and I don't have any time. And Dave always does the stuff on, I can't, I have trouble finishing. So that's how I know Richard. I promise you, he has some very cool and interesting takes on how to write so, Richard, I'm promising to zip my lip here. You please tell everybody who you are here at Hopkins, and then just get, let's get into it. Thank you. So, as, as Kim said, I'm um, professor of radiology at Hopkins, relatively junior professor, um, and I came through in neuroradiology under the mentorship of Dave Usom, and he was able to help me learn how to develop myself and also gave me opportunities to contribute to some of the faculty um, development programs. Um, and that really started me thinking about writing and thinking about aspects of writing um, that um, I was good at, things that I was less good at, and really sort of analyzed the process, um, which I found to be really interesting uh, and really helpful. At the moment, I also have a, um, a position in our department as director of postdoctoral fellows. And so I'm thinking a lot about how postdoctoral fellows develop themselves, progressing towards um, potentially faculty uh, appointments and, and what kind of training um, and thinking people have to do to, to get to that stage. And, uh, and yeah, I think that one of the huge things you need to be able to do really at any level of science, but, but you really need to focus on developing as a postdoctoral fellow um, and junior faculty member is, is that writing piece. So I'm excited to talk about that today. Yes. Now, uh, maybe a little bit of a kind of ground this conversation in some kind of context, because I we have a lot of faculty around the world who listen to this podcast, and I want to make sure they understand that 
I think some people think, well, must be easy for you, Dr. Eden. I'm sure you have, you know, 100, 200 papers, probably because it comes naturally to you. You were born writing. You're a good writer. You're a native English speaker and writer. So it must be nice for you. And they're going to like X, X out of this podcast because they're thinking, this is just hard for me. I'm not a good writer. I don't know how to do it. I don't speak English, you know, as a, my first language. And, and so some people are in the misimpression, this misguided notion that it is some kind of magical gift. So, you know, and it, and it may be for you. I mean, I don't know you that well. So maybe you were as a, an infant, a very prolific writer, but can you kind of put us, put us all into some kind of a framework of this is a kind of person who's talking to us now? Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I mean, I, I certainly um, would agree that I have privilege in, in, in learning English as a first language, um, and, and there are aspects of this, this uh, process that are hard for some people in, in ways that it isn't for me. Um, but I would definitely also say that I'm not a natural writer. Um, as a child in school, um, my handwriting was bad. Um, my penmanship was bad to the extent that my hand hurt regularly. And that was probably played a large role in me moving towards sciences. And, and uh, the subjects I excelled in were those where I didn't need to write. Um, mm -hmm. And I hated history as a subject because um, I couldn't, uh, I, I didn't want to put words on page. And I still don't enjoy uh, writing sort of long bodies of text. So sort of writing does not come naturally to me. And writing within science even doesn't come particularly naturally. But some of the ways I've started to think about it have really helped. And, uh, and so, yeah, the, the writing is, is it, it's huge. You know, writing papers, writing grants, uh, you, you can't get far without being able to communicate your material well and increasingly efficiently as, as well. So for someone like you, a, an admitted, self-confessed, not a natural writer, someone who did not like it, for whom it was physically painful for him. Um, I love this. Now you're grounding us that, okay, now a lot of people are going, okay, good. This guy sounds like me. Tell people how you figured out some ways to hone this skill. So one of the things that I found was Writing is not universally hard for me. There, there are times when you get into a flow state and, and you're able to write. And, and what I ended up sort of deciding is that when I know what I want to write, writing is relatively easy. When it's difficult to know what to write it is when it is difficult to write. And so even though I'm not a naturally structured person and and always in school was highly resistant to any suggestion that I should plan my work ahead of doing it because that felt like doing twice the work. Um, I'm now a huge believer in sort of structuring the sections, um, sort of pre-agreeing with mentees what the different paragraphs of the introduction and the discussion will be, making sure that there is sort of a backbone of a narrative thread running through those sections. Um, and, and what I've found is that, um, it, it, is that I struggle to write when I don't know what to write. I love this. And I just, I underlined both of those words that I wrote down. Uh, when I, when I know what I want to write is when I, it's easier for me. And then the, you talked about structuring the sections, even though you're not naturally, I guess, to the Myers-Briggs, you're not on the J side. It sounds like you're on the P side, that you're not a big agenda, daily schedule, 
you know, line by them, like to have a to have a traveling itinerary, you're more a little spontaneous. So it's even more of a challenge for you to have a structure. So tell us more about this. It sounds like once you figured out a structure that helps you figure out the what. And then it sounds like it's probably easier and then hence more enjoyable because you now have a structure or a plan. Am I on, on the right path? Here? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for me, um, the things that I find easier to write within a paper, let's say, are the methods because I know what I've done and I, and I tend to think about the methods and the results as echoing each other. So if the methods say what I did, the results report what, what I found. Um, and the parts of the paper that I find challenging are the introduction and the discussion, which are a little less prescriptive, a um, little more open-ended. Yeah. And, um, and so the advice I've given to trainees um, most recently is to think of the introduction in a paper as being four paragraphs, let's say. And before writing it, what we do is we isolate those four bullet points. Um, and so we get a bullet point for each paragraph which expresses the central theme of that paragraph. Um, and when we read those four bullet points together, they should show a narrative trajectory that makes sense leading through the paragraph. Um, and then once we get to writing the paragraphs, one of the things that you find when writing, and, and especially when editing other people's writing, is the point at which things start to lose their way a little bit is when something gets in the wrong place. So mm -hmm. you have a sentence which is, a good sentence and something that needs saying, but it doesn't need to say it during this paragraph. And so we sort of get used to judging each sentence in terms of how well does it serve the purpose of the paragraph um, and judging each word and phrase within a sentence as, as to how well does it serve the sentence. Um, and so, so having that sort of structure lets us much more clearly identify where we went wrong. So often you have a paragraph which is sort of like, well, it's kind of good and it's kind of, but it's not quite hitting home and you can't quite see. And over and over again, what I notice is, is this happens when the theme is drifting during the paragraph or there's a little bit of, of, of material that, that isn't in quite the right box. Now, I, that is so important. And I'm thinking of a recent paper, drift, because this is another word I just underlined, drift. I, I am prone to drift because my brain is prone to drift. I get little, I feel like my brain is always like little things firing off here, here, and here, and here. And so I feel like I have to get all, all the, I have to feel like I have to run around and touch all of those little sparks that are going off. And then inevitably I go down, like I call it the YouTube hole, because I think of it almost like YouTube. Well, if I'm going to talk, so here's, let me, let me big picture this for you. So if I have data on late career faculty members in academia. And then we're talking about late career faculty members, maybe male-female differences, underrepresented in medicine differences, basic scientists versus clinician scientists. Um, it's like four elements. It's kind of like four layers of depth. And before you know it, I feel like, well, if we're starting with late career faculty members, we got to talk about faculty members in general then talk about where they are in the career trajectory, then start talking about gender differences. I feel like we got to go down the thing of all the women and men. Then we go to the UIM, underrepresented medicine, and now I got to talk about all that. And now, and I just feel like every paragraph, or as you're saying, a bullet point, I felt, or I used, used to feel compelled to run down that hole of 
everything since, you know, Socrates that's been known about each one of those things and hence the drift and always have to kind of go smack myself again, Kimberly, whoa, 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 slow down. What's the main point instead of being, you know, tugged by all those interesting little sparks? Yeah, I, I definitely have the same thing. And what I find is by having, by committing ahead of time to that structure, I can then use it as sort of a stick to beat myself with and, and to try and, um, you know, force myself back into line. Uh, one where area I really notice drift is between results and discussion, because the results is quite dry. It's, you know, how many apples were there? There were five apples. It's not that interesting. What is interesting is the implications of that comparing it to prior results, you know, it's the discussion that's the, that's the meat of it. The results is just like, what did you find? And over and over again, there's the temptation to editorialize in the results section. Um, and what I've found is, is that there's no point stopping myself from doing it. But what I do now is I write the results. And then when I find myself editorializing and discussing the implications of the results, I just immediately notice it. I copy and paste that and shove it down at the bottom for, for when the um, uh, discussion starts coming. And so this thing of sort of dumping um, like, like all those little sort of holes that you go down, just push it out of the paragraph you're on because it doesn't belong there, put it down at the bottom and come back and integrate it later. Or maybe it's not in this paper and it's something for, for a future paper. There's, there's always um, a limit in what you can put in any paper and, and there is a huge benefit in not trying to overextend yourself, um, both because it makes this paper easier to write and easier to read. And also, you know, frankly, it saves material for the next paper because we're always looking for that as well. Yeah, and, and, I, and you're so right because I'm thinking when you said editorializing, I tend to do the same thing because I'm like you and I think like most of us, the introduction, I'll want to give people the history of the world. And then in the discussion, I will find myself saying or hypothesizing or similarly kind of going down a trail like, well, you can't say that, you know, what do you think? <laughs> you, you, the results, the methods, the methods said you're going to do this. You found that how in the world are you coming up with this supposition or this recommendation? That's, you didn't even do that. But my brain's like, well, it kind of makes sense. Right. And I got to say, no, no, dial it back. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't, open up a new can of worms that the reader, the editor is going to say, what are you talking about? You can't state that. You didn't even, you looked at late career faculty members. What are you now talking about early? You can't, that's the hypothesis that's been untested. You can't make the same assumption about that. So in the discussion, I also tend to want to let my mind spin. So you're reminding us to, you know, hone down, keep a structure, um, make everything reflect back is is a good, I think, a good um, gauge. Yes, yes, de definitely. Um, and, and one of the things that I um, enjoy about the structure in, in that way is that it it really keeps you moving forward. Um, you know, if you have a structure for your introduction, which is four paragraphs long, and you have a draft of those four paragraphs, you're done. Um, you can read them on another day and maybe improve them. Um, but for the most part, once you get to that stage, you're only going to make limited improvements. And actually what you need is someone else's input 
at that stage. And, and so it helps to sort of put an end to the process of, of, of improving things. Mm. I think the temptation at an early stage in your career is to want to impress your seniors, which is a valid thing to want. Um, uh, and, and to, but, but it can lead to inefficiencies in how you write because you start to want to get your manuscript to 95% perfect before you'll show it to anyone. Mm. And particularly when there are structural deficiencies in, in how it's put together, there's no point at all um, in, in getting it to that 95% point. And so with my trainees, I really, I want them to put in time and effort on, on making the manuscript um, good. I, I, you know, it's not enjoyable for anyone to go through something that hasn't had effort put into it. But that isn't the problem that the majority of people have. Um, and overwhelmingly, when we're looking at manuscripts, um, there is so much that changes in that first edit um, that the difference between whether it came to me at 85% done or 95% done is, is basically just dead time because it, it's, it's being changed um, so substantially anyway. Mm -hmm. And so that editing process is something I, I really wanted to get to talking about um, because that for me has been one of the big sort of realizations over the last few years is that as far as possible, when we do editing of manuscripts in my group, we try to co-edit the manuscripts. Now, um, before COVID, that was sitting next to each other at, at one computer um, in a room. Um, now, more often, it's, it's over a Zoom with a shared screen. Um, but I really believe quite passionately in the value of sort of co-editing manuscripts, synchronous editing of manuscript. Um, so, you know, normally we're, we're all used to this idea of the trainee works on a piece of work and they write it up and they bring a draft and you send an email, email a draft to your advisor and then you send another email reminding them about it and eventually they get time to look at it. They look through your manuscript, it comes back with all those red lines and, um, and so the thing moves forward. And this is, this is a valid process. Your manuscript got better um, you were told sort of directed where to change it and whatever else, and, and you have a sense as, as to how to move forward. Um, but I think that there is a, a much better process than that, and that is to actually sort of sit down um, and talk through the process together um, to see not just what changes in the manuscript, but, but why those changes are being made. Um, and the reason why I think this is so valuable is that for trainees, it's important to publish papers. So moving from N papers to N plus one papers is important. But the thing that will really serve you in your career for the future is not just writing that one paper, it's the lessons you learn about how to write papers are the really valuable thing. And so for most postdocs coming into my group, they've written two papers, five papers, maybe as many as 10 papers, but it's still a very small N. Um, and, and the number of lessons they've been able to learn from each one is, you know, you learn maybe one or two lessons for each iteration. Um, and so no matter how uh, impressive a CV people have coming in, they've all had limited opportunity to see scientific writing in practice. Um, and I think that, that this process of learning how to write um, is increasingly, I, I think, is maybe the most important lesson that, that um, people are learning during their training. I, I focused in beginning stages of my career much more on technical and you know how on earth do I explain these quite 
technical ideas in our work to trainees. Um, and that is sort of itself a valuable question. But as time's gone on, I've learned the value of having a diversity of expertise and a diversity of backgrounds in our group. Not everyone is doing those most technical um, pieces of work, but everyone is writing um, and everyone needs to learn how to write. Um, and so, so yeah, th this idea of, of co-editing is just, it, it, it's really changed the way I think about the process. And I think I first came on it sort of from a cowardice of, of knowing that I am a very proactive editor of things. I, I tend to make a lot of changes and <laughs> Maybe from my sort of past trauma, my, my first paper that I wrote, I, I slaved over this manuscript for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, sent it to my PhD advisor, who I sort of, you know, um, have endless respect for and, uh, and, and I'm utterly terrified of his opinion in all things. Um, <laughs> and um, I didn't hear anything back. And then I sort of followed up. Okay, can you take a look at, can you take a look at, eventually sort of, few weeks more I, I I followed up and he said oh yes well I think maybe I'd better write the first draft on this one <laughs> um, which was basically to say that you know what you've done is great it's nice work but it's so sort of structurally not where it needs to be that we're just going to start from a clean slate and, and start again um, and that was a really like valuable lesson for me um, Maybe part of the valuable lesson for me is I, I try not to do that um, to my trainees. Um, I, I think that, you know, th this wasn't done with malice um, and, and we have an excellent relationship and I, I took it in exactly the way that it was, it was meant. Um, but I'm scared of editing manuscripts and every word coming back read. Yeah. And, and, and I'm scared that the lesson when you do that in a vacuum is the thing that you sent me wasn't good. That that's, should never be the lesson. The lesson is I want that thing to be better um, and I'm putting in my time and effort to make it better. And the extent of the red is not a judgment on, on what started. It's a judgment of the investment that, that has been um, put into it. And I think that one of the reasons I started co-editing was so I could communicate that to people as it was going. And over time, I found sort of so many advantages of this way of working, being able to explain the why, the value of trainees, seeing me struggle, put a certain idea into words, not just to be able to say, okay, well, this sentence got crossed out and it became this sentence, but to really go backwards and forwards and say, well, what did you mean when you said this sentence? Um, and this is one thing I learned from a, a non-scientist friend, you know, he says when, when he reads things, often what he'll say to his, his people is, is, well, what did you mean by that? And they all know what they mean by it. And almost without exception, if you say to somebody, what did you mean by that? The answer is a better expression of the idea than well, the thing that's on the paper. Um, <laughs> because we tend to write in one register and talk in another. And, the, you know, there's um, a place for different registers of language. But normally your spoken explanation is just more fluent than, than the written thing. Which, which was. So we say, what did you mean by that? And then you say, okay, well, let's say that. And so you get people to critique their, their own stuff. You guide attention. So it certainly isn't the same as them sitting in a room and making it better um, themselves. But there's, there's, real, um, there's real benefit in, in, that, um, in that idea of looking at it together, talking through the why, um, 
and and seeing seeing the process happen, not just the outcome presented as as a track changes word document. So this, you are genius, and I love this on so many levels. So what we're talking about here is co-editing and Richard Eden. I love that you are so empathetic and that your rich life experiences of the horror and the and the and the all-encompassing desire to please your mentor and impress your mentor, and we've all been there of trying to demonstrate our value and show that we're we're smart, we are worthy. And there's nothing more demoralizing than someone you respect who, and this happened to me, I'm telling you, Richard, within the past, I'll say five or six years, a very, very respected genius, uh, highly uh, visible leader here at Hopkins, when I gave him a draft of a manuscript basically said to me, and again, in all like kindness, respect, um, you need help writing. And the, and the thing that kind of like knocked me over and I threw up in my mouth a little bit was I had already had like 50 publications, but this manuscript was a completely different line of thought and science. And it, it really wasn't science. It was my publishing or trying to publish. I did. Ultimately, that WAG work I mentioned, the writing accountability groups, because I wasn't testing a hypothesis. I wasn't doing science as I had always done. Rather, I was describing a tool or a process. And I really just struggled and didn't know what I was saying. And so I ended up just saying lots and lots of words, like I tend to think and hope that if I put a lot of words out there, something will ultimately make sense. But when he said that to me, you know, you really, you know, in an email, he's like, you know, you really need some help with writing. I, I my, my instinct was like, ah, Yes, and but but I am good. I am worthy. I mean, I felt so embarrassed, and I felt like I had kind of disappointed him. I really never really knew him, and then I was worried about my my reputation, and he's going to think I don't write, but I actually do read some of my other stuff. And it so I what I love on so many loves about you and your your just way of being and your affect is that you so honestly and authentically drew on that experience and then discovered this process and recognize the value of this co-editing. And I'm just going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to shut up again. And you were reminding me, again, within the past two years, my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Jennifer Haythornthwaite, offered to review my promotion letter, my promotion professor letter. And I had written it, rewritten it three or four times. And and she said, well, let's sit down together at my house. And I literally did the big eye roll, like, I don't need to sit down at your office with you and you read this. This sounds painful to me. Um, I was never a good group right, group person because I just, all the chatter and the noise and too many people talking. I don't know how they do that in the movies. I'd be like, let's write a script together. And, you know, five people start yammering. It always kind of freaked me out. But you, Richard Eden, what you are saying is exactly what hit me like a sledgehammer. When I sat next to her at the computer and she was reading, she said just that, what do you mean by this? Because when Kim, when I'm reading this paragraph, what that makes me think is this. And isn't that that? And what about the other? And then I started going to defense mode of, well, yeah, well, I say that later, but well, isn't it? And she's like, well, the mere fact that I'm asking you, Kim, I know you, I know you, Kim, this is, you're not telling a good story there. So you're right. Had I gotten the revised, you know, 
Jennifer saying, here, Kim, here's my revisions, take it for whatever you want, versus her, my hearing her say, I don't know what you're talking about here. I thought you did thus and such. What do you mean by this? That did kind of make me go, well, isn't it obvious? No, it's not. <laughs> and I'll be quiet there. Keep going. Yeah, there's there's so many great ideas in what you've just uh, what you've just talked about. The idea that uh, you found you struggled as you moved from one kind of writing to another, um, and and the idea that the form of different kinds of writing changes as the function of the writing changes. Um, you know that as you think of postdocs progressing towards faculty, one of the big registers you need to learn is is writing about writing grants as opposed to writing paper manuscripts and and maybe a more future orientated science writing compared to to past oriented and and the 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 way of thinking about that has to be um has to be relearned um you know i i think part of it thinking about your experiences i also do not receive criticism well um i i even when I have a wonderful relationship with the person who is offering it, um, when I really believe that it is offered in good faith, when I know it is correct, particularly, um, it's difficult to handle. Um, I, I, I do find that sort of uh, negative feedback. I know that I, I need that, but my instinct is to fight it and, and to, to, to sort of justify and reject and, and sort of, you know, especially when it when it hits home is, is to be defensive in those ways um and so maybe some of coming towards this process is sort of just um just me sort of knowing how i feel on the other side of it um another thing is i think it's playing to my strengths as, as a mentor i i don't really enjoy doing things on my own um i like to do things with other people and that for me moving from being a postdoc to a faculty, that was one of the great promises was that I would be able to work in a team, uh, work with people. Um, for me, the enjoyment of this co-editing is, is enormously larger than sort of editing on my own. I find it much easier to find time um, and, and the motivation to do it um, because I, I, I sort of, I feel like we're getting two things out of the process. We're not just moving the paper forward, which is important, but we're also sort of investing in the future and, and the future manuscripts. And so um, I, I, I enjoy it a, a great deal more also. Could you, you know, Richard, maybe describe um, briefly how, like how to do this. So people are like, this sounds great. I kind of get the idea. You said that you sit in olden days, you'd sit next to each other and, and at a table, and now you're doing it virtually on Zoom. It, so can you just briefly take it from, say, a new trainee, and they've never done this co-editing with you, relative to someone who, like, say, you know, Kim and Richard, we've done lots of papers together. How might that process look different? To give people who are listening to this an, an idea for literally how do you do it? So, so if we sort of start with an introduction, um, <laughs> which that, that actually that's another funny story from our, our writing seminar with, with Dave Usom is, is we... We, uh, he and I have um, diametrically opposed advice as to how to write. So it's important to, um, to recognize that, you know, some of what I say will be great for some people and terrible for, for other people. Um, but if we say for now that we're starting at the introduction, first of all, I would um, have a backwards and forwards discussion about that structure. So I would advise people not to waste time on writing the introduction until we've agreed that framework of bullet points that tells the narrative thread of it, because there's no point writing 10 sentences on a theme that doesn't work. 
Um, so, so this is all about efficiency of, of use of time. And when we have that, that narrative thread of bullet points, I say, okay, we'll expand each of these into a paragraph. And at the point where you've done that, we'll sit down and, and look at it together. And I do think this is instructive, especially at the beginning, not to do it by a whole manuscript, but just one section at a time. Um, because to get really to get to the meat of discussing a whole manuscript in a difference in a, in a single session um, is is not possible. You know, we're, we're talking about um, uh, more than an hour of discussing sort of um, uh, each section, I would say. Um, and so, so then we say, okay, well, this is the paragraph you have. Often I will encourage people to have those bullet points still as sort of interstitial markers between the paragraphs. And we'll start reading it and we'll say, okay, well, this first sentence, um, how is that good? And then often I'll say, well, one of the things I particularly like doing at the beginning of a, of a paragraph, particularly at the beginning of a paper, is to have some kind of strong declarative statement. And so we beef up that very first sentence. And then bit by bit, we go through sentence by sentence saying, how does that serve the purpose of the paragraph? And invariably what we find is the second or third sentence is much too long. And so then we think about, well, how can we break that sentence into two parts? Um, because, you know, it got long because you wrote the sentence and then realized you needed some sort of additional clause to explain a thing that hadn't been explained yet. <laughs> Don't explain it in the additional clause. Just add in a sentence preceding it to, to add that information. Um, and so, so we just go through sentence by sentence and, and overriding the, it is that question. It is, it is how effective is this sentence in serving the purpose of the, the paragraph? When I read that sentence, does it clearly um, describe, does it clearly communicate meaning to me? Um, do I understand where you're getting at? Um, uh, and, and, you know, often when we have problems about individual sentences, it's just a matter of thinking, okay, well, what, saying, what did you mean by that? And the answer is, it is the answer. Um, and when it's um, not just an individual sentence, but the paragraph sort of slightly losing its way, by asking that question, does this sentence serve the paragraph? You can start to figure out where it lost its, its direction. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then as you get towards the end of the paragraph, you, you don't want to sort of gate crash the next session and you really want to maintain sort of a segregation of purpose between the paragraphs, but you do want to sort of walk up to the brink. Um, and so the closing of the first paragraph will sort of um, make the beginning of the next one make sense. Um, and, and so we sort of walk through it step by step um, with that kind of a process. Now, uh, this is this is so helpful. I'm thinking about the length of the duration of a session that we're, where you are co-editing a manuscript, because some of this to me sounds so tedious and so exhausting. And I'm imagining if I am like so impressed with Richard Eden, I am like horrified and terrified. And I'm, it's almost the mental, like the weight of doing this and feeling like I'm making poor Dr. Eden work so hard on my paragraph do you go at this? Is it this like a high intensity interval training class where you're doing 15 minutes of a session or are you hammering away for an hour on a period? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think that, that, that I think that we are going, non, so, so I believe in chunking stuff. Um, so, so really my, my preference is to do this for as long as possible. And, and the limit is 
is normally my stamina of, you know, I, I can feel that fog coming in my brain <laughs> and, and the, the mental tiredness just sets in. And I know, okay, I would love to carry on with this, but frankly, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. You're not getting the best of me anymore. And, uh, and you know, we need to just put a lid on it for today. Um, you know, not everything that we've addressed is, is sort of closed you know, particularly where you sort of offer feedback on figures or whatever, you know, you don't actually do it live. So there's often things that can be done um, on the trainee side, um, sort of, and, and you know, th this is something I know about myself. I, I can write well at certain periods of the day. I can think well at certain periods of the day. Um, when I get to the end of that, it's not all the work I can do in a day. There's a lot of really boring, non-strenuous activities in, in my job as well that I can carry on and doing but but I need to know myself and, and know when I can and can't uh, write effectively for me it's it's sort of a morning thing because um, that's where my brain works better for other people it's like the middle of the night I, it's just finding your your place and, and what you said earlier this is so important that you this shows good mentorship because especially when you are co-editing the trainee or your colleague can see all this live. And again, I love your honesty and your transparency that it's not, it really opens up more just a feeling of security and safety of saying, of you just saying, listen, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting tired here. I'm starting to get the, the fogs rolling in. It's time for either a coffee or a nap or a walk. And I think we're done here. That just saying that is another lesson that our trainees are learning that not only are you honest that you're not some superhero god that they will never be like you and they you know why bother it's just this guy is amazing and i and i'm just no good or and and it also teaches us to you know as a faculty person to go okay he's tired i it gives me permission to be tired to be brain fog he has brain fog oh my gosh who knew it's like the anti cv the the idea of people who have we, we look, we judge our insides by other people's outsides and then outsides and then determine that we are inferior, not realizing that Dr. Eden has lots of rejected grants and lots of rejected papers. So I love the process that to me feels not only is it so informative because I'm learning how you, my mentor, thinks. And not that it's all perfect, but this this kind of this, this going back and forth. And I'm, I'm kind of envisioning almost like watching an NIH study section. You know, it's one thing to write a grant application. It's another thing if you could be a fly on the wall to be, you know, a little watching and hearing the way the discussions happen. And then that helps you understand, oh, they're asking about that. That teaches, even if it's not about your grant, it teaches you how they, how the language is understood and how people think. So, so much about what you do. Yes, I, I seeing, sorry, sorry. Yes, seeing the process happen is 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 um is a huge part of it, you know. But particularly, I enjoy. So so last week I was editing a, a manuscript with, with somebody, and and you know I, I don't get the uh, message right the whole time. You know, at, at some point they said they said, "Oh, I see that I should have done a better job of this before I sent it to you." And I was, I was like, "No, no, no, no. That's not that's not the message here. The message is, you know, this is what we're doing." Um, you did a great job. The fact that we've changed all of this isn't about the job that was done. But what we need to do is we need to sort of start to learn how to think about the writing and how to think about putting it together. 
And one of the great things that happened, you know, this same paragraph, it wasn't working. There were some, some, some things where you're sort of like, okay, well, I'm not really sure what that is. And so I, I basically sort of hit a few carriage returns in and said, okay, well, up until this point, we're doing great. And then we sort of lose our way. So let's just shove it down here and, and have another think. And I had a think and I had a little bit more of a think and I, and I was stuck. So, so I could identify that this thing wasn't really working, mm-hmm. but I myself couldn't really identify what, therefore, where, where do we need to go instead? And so I consulted with the, the heading of that paragraph, and that was sort of helpful. But what we found out was that that heading wasn't proscriptive enough to be guiding. Um, and so then we sort of, we can either think about, okay, well, do we just let the paragraph guide itself and amend that description? Or maybe do we sort of think about what is this bit doing within the whole? So, so you can actually sort of edit those paragraph summaries when you find that they aren't giving you the guidance that you require. And then we go back down. And I really felt that the process of the trainee seeing me struggle to do this, having written you know, a lot of manuscripts, order of magnitude more than they have, um, that's really, really valuable and, and something that is lost when you just get the finished process because, you know, we, we got somewhere. We got somewhere pretty good. You know, it was a paragraph that, that worked well and, and that hanged together, did a good job. Um, but then being able to say, okay, well, I, I write this and I, I get stuck off with a sentence and I rub it out, I start again. And I, you know, like, like that process, I think, can be enormously um uh, valuable for trainees because you read manuscripts in in the literature and they're all good and and you know some of them are better written than others but they're all good because they've all been read by five authors and three reviewers and one sub editor and they've all been through the mill to such a to such a degree that that sort of sets the the bar very very high in a way that can be in, intimidating or discouraging um, and so to see the process live of, you know, we're not trying to get to the end today. We're just trying to move this thing forward um, and, and have a manuscript that is better when we leave it than, than when we found it. This is just so great, Richard. And I'm just thinking about how, you know, how they make the sausage. And what popped in my, my head was, imagine if we all, those of you who have children, just showed the child a picture of a tied shoe. You know, you want to learn how you how to tie your shoe? Well, here I'll show you fifteen different pictures of tied shoelaces. Look at my look at my shoe. See, it's tied. Do that. There's so much value, and we could all um, think of a million examples of watching a an expert uh, diagnostician come up with a, a disease and recognizing a pattern of symptoms that points to some certain disease, or or a, a surgeon, you know, having trouble finding all the cancer or the all the whatever mechanic diagnosing a problem, they're building a house. It's so incredibly valuable to watch the master do the thing and learn from her or his, you know, technique and mistakes. And yet in writing, like you said, Richard, so perfectly, we compare, you know, we don't see how that how the sausage is made. You know, no one lets us in the kitchen. They just we look at the journal article and go, oh man. I could never write that. Yeah, you can. It's a skill. It's learned like anything else. And the your process of co-editing, I think, is such a great example on so many levels of not, again, only mentoring and obviously the skill of writing, 
but just confidence and life skills and all that can be translated down to subsequent generations of just talking it out and and taking the time. You're going to do it yourself. Why not have the person there? Because I imagine the learning is a lot quicker. The uptake from the mentees, the trainee side is faster because you start to hear Richard's voice in your head. When you start putting those four bullet points together for my four pair, I would start to hear your voice, I imagine. So I imagine that investment of time with someone sitting next to you serves so many purposes. And especially if you like people, you know, like a lot of us do like being around people, it's, it's, um, it's a win. It's a win all around, right? Yeah, definitely. That, that hearing the mentor's voice in the back of your head, I, I think that's, you know, you'll hear that voice, uh, whether it's a curse or a blessing sort of depends on, on what your mentor is saying. Uh, mm-hmm. There's one classic quote from, from my uh, PhD mentor. Uh, he, he's there's, he sort of, hmm, I'm not sure that's the introduction I would have written. <laughs> and that is a very dry way of presenting things. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I hear this in, 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 my, in my head. You, you hear that advice um, and, you know, to, to have sort of, um, like you say, seen the sausage being made is, is you know, is really good. Um, and, and, and as you mentioned, you know, I, I see some of my mentees now have sort of moved to faculty and I see them um, acting out this process with, with their mentees as well. Um, and and that, that's, you know, that's, that's really encouraging. It also rather underlines the sort of um, seriousness of it. You know, I, I sort of, there are some of the things that I teach people that are really important and some of them that are just my little things that don't matter. Um, <laughs> So I do sort of, you know, start to feel the responsibility of, oh, we've got to figure out which of these things are important and which of them are just, you know, the way the way I like to do things. Like, does that line really have to be 0.75 points wide or, or could it be just fine at one and a half? Or, you know, it's sort of um, I, getting down to what matters, um, I, I think, is, is sort of a, a new challenge. Um, as you refine this process. Dr. Richard, you are a joy. You are a gift uh, to all your trainees, to Hopkins. Um, Friends, I hope you have enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, and I hope you've learned some stuff. And if you'd like to have a personal think with Dr. Richard Eden, you could probably shoot him an email at Eden, E-D-D-E-N, at J-H-U.E-D-U. Very easy, E-D-D-E-N at jhu.edu. So wonderful. Great. I love this concept of co-editing. I'm going to leave the final thought to you, Richard. Well, I just want to say thank you. Um, you know, I, I love these um, these podcasts that you put together. Um, I'm so grateful to you for the encouragement. Um, and, and, you know, I uh, have enjoyed discussing this. Uh, absolutely. If anyone wants to talk to me about co-editing and, and some of these ideas, um, I'd be happy to, um, to to have an email conversation about it or maybe even more um, a three o'clock in the afternoon call when uh, I'm too tired to think about uh, <laughs> writing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I hope that this has been helpful um, and that you're able to um, analyze the writing process, um, learn more from thinking about it and, and to help um, develop your trainees through it. Perfect. See you all next time on the Faculty Factory podcast. Tell all your friends. Thank you, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. 
Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.